And that will be great. All right, Psalm 51 this evening. As we're considering some questions on Sunday evenings, we're going to continue looking at this. And uh, as you guys give them, and we'll, we'll continue that in, with the fore, foreseeable future. So that means if you want to continue with that kind of study, that means that you got to give me more questions. All right? And uh, so I encourage you, again, go out here to Welcome Desk, find that little Bible question piece of paper. Uh, put your Bible question on there, either a question about a portion of Scripture or a passage and uh, that you'd like to help with more understanding, or if you have a question of to life that you want a Bible answered to, uh, write those questions down, all right? And we'll try our best to answer those on Sunday evenings. And, of course, if they're extra hard, we'll give them to Kenny, all right? Let him answer those for you. But uh, we'll try to do that for the foreseeable future on our Sunday evenings. And so far, it seems that many of you enjoy this type of study and going through these type of different things, and we'll continue to do so. But for today, I want to look at another question. And it's this question that was asked uh, recently, uh, at least along the lines of it. And it was this question. What happens when a believer sins? Now, this is a great question. Because let's just all simply face this truth. That, as believers, we all sin, do we not? Absolutely. Who here are saved? Say amen. All right. Who here say, I've sinned since I've saved? Say amen. All right. A few of you did not. Thank you for being here from heaven. All right. We appreciate that. But we've all sinned, okay? Yes, before we were saved, but even, even after we have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we have sinned. We all have. But what do we do when that happens? What do we do when... We sin. Now, some individuals have, and some other churches teach, that if a believer sins, then that automatically causes them to lose their salvation. Now, right out of the gate, I want to tell you that is not true. All right? Upon the authority of the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of truth, I can tell you with assurance and confidence that a believer cannot lose their salvation. Can't do it. Uh, because, listen, if, as believers, if we could lose our salvation, then guess what? You would, all right? You would. And to think otherwise is absolutely prideful of us to think, no, I would never lose it. Oh, come on. Yes, you would. So, yes, we, if we could lose it, we would. But I'm thankful that we do not lose our salvation. Here's what the Scripture teaches when it comes to the eternal salvation of the believer, John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, it says this, Jesus speaking, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Pretty plain, isn't it? You cannot lose it. He gives eternal life, and he says, and they shall never perish. I don't know how those that teach otherwise get past that very truth, simplistic truth of that scripture. But here's some more. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, In whom you also trusted, after you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
And whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Listen, when Jesus saved you, He bought you, okay? He didn't rent you. He bought you. You are a purchased possession. And therefore, when you buy something, you know what that means? It's yours. All right, here's another one. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse 30. And grieve not, that means to make sorrowful, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. As believers, we are sealed. We are bought. We have eternal life and cannot and will not perish. But as believers, as I read that verse 2, it still tells me that I could grieve the Holy Spirit, make sorrowful the Holy Spirit. But what does that? Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Listen, sin may grieve the Holy Spirit of God in you, but it will not cause you to lose the Holy Spirit of God in you. So when we sin, just know we cannot lose our salvation. Can't happen. Will not happen. So, if we don't lose our salvation after we sin, then what happens? Okay, let's try to answer that question and see a few things uh, as we dive into this question. See a few things on, from different verses of Scripture and di maybe different examples. But the main one we're going to be in, the main text, the main example we'll look at this evening is the text of Psalm 51 with the example of David, King David himself. Okay? And uh, as we look at this in Psalm 51... Keep in mind, of course, this was written by David after he had gotten right with God. You see, at this moment in Psalm 51, David is looking back on the aftermath of his sin. He is looking back with grief in his heart due to the foolish actions of his life. But he's also looking back with great gratitude as well. Knowing and realizing that God's grace and forgiveness was so rich and real to him. So with that in mind, as we come to Psalm 51, we will see the Lord has David write his story, write this record for us to read, to learn from, and apply to our lives of what happens when we sin. And this evening, I'm going to try to be quick as possible. I only got two points, all right? And all God's people said, don't say it. All right, anyway. But the first one is this. First point from this portion of Scripture I'd like to see as far as what happens when a believer sins is this. Number one, there are consequences. There are consequences. Now, with that pendulum swing of the teaching of losing one's salvation, there is, there is this, okay? Since we can't lose our salvation, that must mean we have nothing to lose when we do sin. Now, some would say that. On the other, other uh, spectrum there, the pendulum swing of those that would teach you lose your salvation. They say, well, if you can't lose salvation, there's nothing to lose. Well, not necessarily either. You see, there are those who would believe that since we're under grace, not under Old Testament law, then we get more grace when we sin. Again, that would be faulty reasoning and logic. That's not true. But it is true that God is a God of grace, and I'm thankful for that. I'll be the first one to say amen to that. But listen, God's grace is not an excuse to be an open, blatant sin. It is not an excuse. It's not a license for the believer to just do 
whatever they simply please to do when it comes to, to sin. It is not, this is not, grace is not an excuse. Rather, it should be an excuse not to sin, at least in a willful, willful manner, knowing uh, type of way. Here's what Paul said on that subject. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verse number 20. He says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says this, listen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? <laughs> He's answering that question. And here's his answer. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Listen, when, when asked, hey, Paul, should we stay in sin so we can continue in grace? That's kind of their question. When, when asked that, Paul used the strongest language he could use at this time, and he says, God forbid. He said, no, that's not what that means. God forbid. But understand, there are consequences to our sin. There can be suffering in one form or another due to sin. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that I do hate seeing that, though. I hate seeing suffering. I hate seeing people in pain, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, whatever, right? Whatever the suffering may be, I hate, I hate seeing I mean, I, I'm gotten, I've gotten so soft, I even hate watching those stinking commercials where the dilapidated dogs, you know, and they say, for your donation of 99 cents a day, you too can help this dilapidated dog have a better life, you know. At one point, I was like, yeah, but a, a 22 is like five cents, you know, so, you know, you can take care of that dilapidated dog I, Maybe that's too harsh anyway. Anyway, but like I said, I've softened up, okay? Uh, so I don't even like seeing that. You know, it's kind of interesting when, uh, when uh, they, they put that song with those, with those commercials, that Sarah McLaughlin song in the background of those, of those commercials. Did you know that when those commercials first aired that uh, Sarah herself could not even watch that commercial? That's pretty, pretty remarkable. But it's also said that the commercial originally aired in 2007 and it managed to raise $30 million in the first two years of its release, according to the New York Times. So I guess suffering does sell, but anyway. But still, I don't like it, okay? I don't like seeing it. I don't like experiencing it, but I don't like it. And as a pastor, it does kill me to see a member of the flock hurting or suffering. Please understand, when you hurt, I hurt with you. Uh, when you're suffering, we suffer with you. I may not be able to fully express it. Uh, I may not be able to express it even enough, but I want you to know I do hurt with you. But what I really hate seeing when it comes to suffering, especially suffering of a believer, is when they suffer because of sin they have committed and they know what they've done. And here's why I hate seeing that. Some people look at it and they're like, well, they just get what they deserve. Well, I understand, but I still hate seeing because here's my heart on it. That didn't have to happen. That, that consequence didn't have to happen. 
understand as saved people, Christ's victory on Calvary frees us, not only from the penalty of sin, the penalty that is, of course, hell and ultimately the, the lake of fire. It didn't just free us from the penalty of it, but also frees us from the power of it, of sin. Three times you'll find the phrase free from sin in Romans chapter 6. You'll find that phrase in verse number 7, verse 18, and verse 22. Let me read verse 22 for you. The Bible says in Romans 6, 22, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become the servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Understand as believers, we don't have to have our lives dominated by sin. But if we allow our lives to be dominated by sin, if a person is bound and allows himself to be bound to that sin, then listen, listen. If they're bound to that sin, then they're going to be bound to suffer. It'll happen if you allow it to dominate your life. So understand sin does bring consequence. There will be suffering, but what does it look like? Well, Let's look at Psalm 51 and see those consequences quickly, all right? Number one, we can see this. It dirties the soul. Look at verse number two. Psalm 51 and verse number two. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Now, this is King David saying this. And no doubt, King David had the best clothing. He was neat. He was tidy. He was... No doubt physically clean, had the best hygiene in the land, the best soaps, the best perfumes, the best essential oils, whatever, right? He had it all. No doubt he looked good and smelled good, yet David says here he was admitting as if he feels absolutely dirty. You know, when we sin as a child of God, we will feel that way. We will feel just something just ain't exactly, exactly right. And if you've sinned as a saved individual, then you know what I'm talking about. But maybe you're here this evening and say, I've, you know, I've messed up and sinned, but I've never felt bad about it. I've never felt dirty, you know. But if that's your response to that, then maybe you need to check up with your own soul, your own soul salvation. Listen, God wants us to be clean, though. He wants us to be clean. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. God wants us to be clean, yet sin makes us dirty. But how do we get clean? Well, we're going to look at at that at the end, but here's a hint real quick, okay? Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it, present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. But understand, here's a consequence of sin, a believer's life, it can dirty the soul. Number two, it can do this, it can dominate the mind. Look at verse number three, Psalm 51, verse number three. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before 
me. He said, my sin, my sin is ever before me. Now, what does this mean? And what is David talking about? Is he talking about the uh, ghost of Uriah was haunting him after he had him killed? Or is he, or is he talking about Bathsheba, that, he, that she was always in, in his presence, his sins ever before him? Is that what he's getting at? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Rather, I, I believe he was saying no matter what he did, no matter where he went, he could not get away from his sin, meaning this sin he has committed was so etched upon the walls of his mind that it controlled his thinking and it controlled his mind. Think about it for a minute. By the time that David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah, her husband, killed in the, in the forefront of the battle, to the time that Nathan approached him, Nathan the prophet approached David and said, Thou art the man, understand that time frame between those two, two moments was around nine months. But in those nine months, David's guilty conscience no doubt would bother him and even condemn him. He could not get away from what he had done. Uh, one author said it this way, There are two kinds of wounds that can come to the human soul. One is guilt, the other is sorrow. Sorrow is a clean wound. Sorrow like you would suffer when you would lose a loved one. That kind of sorrow, sadness, that kind of sorrow. But he said, give it time and it will begin to heal. But a guilt, guilt is a dirty wound. It just festers and festers and festers. and <clears throat> never stops until that wound is clean. And David, no doubt, had a guilty wound <clears throat> with his guilty mind and couldn't get away from it. This sin dominated his mind. Another consequence is this. Number three, it disgraces the Lord. Look at verse number four. David said, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. He said, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Now, did David, let me ask you, did David sin against other people? Yes or no? Do like this, up and down, yes. Okay, yeah, he did. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against their families. He sinned against the nation. He sinned against all of that and even more, but he did not mention them in this psalm. As, this, as he sinned against them. No, he acknowledged who his sin was really against, who his sin was really an insult toward. And it was toward God Almighty. Listen, David, he did. He did love the Lord. There's no doubt about that. Even the Bible, even the Lord himself would acknowledge this truth. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Acts 13, 22, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Listen, the Bible declares that God knew that David loved the Lord. But since he did, since he loved the Lord, this is why this sin broke David and broke his heart, knowing that he broke the heart of God. He said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You know, sometimes we have the idea that if we sin and when we sin, we want to sin in secret. And think that nobody sees me, or no one can sees me, or no one will see me, and no one's watching, and so I'll get away with this. But understand something. God sees it all. 
And no doubt this thought, it dawned upon David that God saw him. His eyes were upon him and this truth broke David's heart. You see, a lost person who sins, they may feel bad about it, especially if they get caught, maybe, be, maybe, be, maybe feel bad about it, I don't know, but, and maybe not even be bothered at all, but anyway, but a saved person, that just can't happen, eventually be broken over their sin when they realize what it has done to God. But another consequence is this, number four, it depresses the heart. Quickly, it depresses the heart. Look at verse number eight. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this verse and it says, let me have joy again, let me hear gladness again, let me rejoice again, this tells me that at, the, at this moment, David, as he was living in unconfessed sin, David didn't have any of it. He didn't have the joy, the rejoicing, the gladness. Rather, he was miserable. He was unhappy. He was sad. He was depressed. Now, don't get the idea, though, that I'm saying that those who struggle with depression or those that are unhappy are filled with some kind of sin. I am not saying that whatsoever, okay? There can be other reasons. Folks find themselves in a deep, dark hole of, of depression. But I do know this. That a Christian who is living in known sin will be a miserable person. Many think that the most miserable person on the earth are those that don't know Jesus as Savior. Some say, well, I don't know how they do it. You know, I don't know how they live without the Lord. They've got to be the most miserable person in the world. Not necessarily. You see, I think the most miserable person in all the world is a child of God who is living like the child of the devil. Now, they may have a little pleasure in sin for a season, but it won't last a lifetime, you see. There will be, there will be some misery on the back end. The most miserable person in all the world, the saved person, living like a lost person. So sin, it can depress the heart. What else can it do? It can disease the body. Again, look at verse number 8. The Bible says, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may Rejoice, he says, the bones which you have broken, thou hast broken. Now keep in mind, the book of Psalms is a book of poetry, all right? So David was not saying that he has literal broken bones. He's not saying that I have uh, compound fractures from this sin, okay? He's not, he's not saying that in a literal fashion. Rather, he is using figurative language. And besides, we understand this because we use figurative language even Today, you may even say, uh, when someone hurts your feelings or does you wrong, maybe you'll say, man, that, that, just, that, just, ah, that just broke my heart. Man, that crushed me. Now, did it literally crush you like a trash compactor? That, your, your, your beating organ in your chest cavity, is it literally beginning to break? No, of course not. It's figurative language. We're just trying to express the feeling on the inside with as a figure of speech, but this is what David was doing. He is feeling crushed at this moment on the inside. He feels everything is absolutely broken. But the question is, how long to that misery on the inside finally begins to manifest itself on the outside, even 
within our own health because understand something, sin, it can have an effect on our health and on our bodies. Take, for instance, this phrase. Have you ever heard the phrase, you're going to worry yourself to death? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever had that told to you? <laughs> I understand. I'm with you, okay? But we know what they're talking about. But there's actually more truth to that than we actually realize sometimes. You see, here are some professional finds about the sin of worry in regards to your health. If it's habitually worrisome and you're habitually anxious, it can do this. Ready? It can cause dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, difficulty swallowing, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling and twitching, uncontrollable shaking, suppression of the immune system, digestive orders, disorders rather, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, premature coronary artery disease, heart attack. If excessive worrying and high anxiety go untreated, they can lead even to depression and suicidal thoughts. So yeah, you could be worried yourself to death. So instead, do this. Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. So just like joy works like a medicine, laughter works like a medicine, understand misery can work like a poison. And David in this moment was miserable. Why? Because of his sin. Number six, it can do this quickly, can defile the spirit. Verse number 10, look what the Bible says. He says this, create in me a clean Heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I believe David had a sour spirit at this moment. You see, some of the most irritating and irritable people you can ever see or be around are those that are saved by a fellowship with God. And these believers, they can have a sour spirit. They can be just critical all the time and nothing can seem to satisfy them. Listen, you can take that individual and they can be starving to death. And you take that individual to Longhorn Steakhouse and say, man, get anything you want and as much as you want. And guess what? After they finished their meal they didn't even pay for, they're going to still find something to criticize. Am I on? <laughs> Because of that irritability and that type of spirit. They'll say, well, man, that, that waiter was just so slow. I mean, my glass got half empty. <laughs> so what? You're always going to find something to complain and criticize. And that's, I believe, what David was doing. He had a sour, a sour spirit. And I say that. Because before David was called out by the prophet Nathan, do you remember the, the parable that Nathan gave? When he talked about a man that's wanting to give a feast to a friend, to the traveler, instead of taking uh, a sheep from his own fold, he took a, a sheep from his neighbor's house. And, but that sheep from his neighbor's house was one he took in even as a young lamb, as a kid, and nursed it, and, and it was like a pet to him. 
And of course, no doubt David's mind was going back to when he was a shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep and no doubt had pet sheep of his own, you know, that he no doubt had a little more favoritism to one or the other and, and thought about those moments. But what did David say? When David found out about that parable, he looked at Nathan and he jumped off his throne, no doubt, and in a critical tone said, he shall pay fourfold. It's absolutely irritable. He didn't have the right spirit. Sin causes us to have a critical, sour spirit. Number seven, it dims our witness. Look at verse number 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Meaning at this time he wasn't doing that. He wasn't teaching people the way of God. Listen, when we have sin in our lives, we won't do that. We will not be a witness for the Lord. We will not tell others about Jesus. We will not teach the Bible. We will not preach the Bible. We will not even want, I want to be around the truth. Why? Because the light of the truth will shine on our own darkness. We don't like it. The Bible says in John 3, 19, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Sin will dim our witness quickly. It does this as well. Number eight, it deters our praise. Again, in verse number 14, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Listen, much like our witness when we are in sin, we will not want to praise the Lord. We will not even want to be around those that are. We won't be... We will not want to be around true worship. We will not want to be at church. Now, you're thinking, so everybody don't come back to church so they're not living in sin? No, I'm not saying that, okay? Not saying that at all. But I am saying that if we are in sin, we know it. The last place you want to go is church. You want to try to stay away. Why? Well, just as... The light of the truth shines on our darkness. The light of other believers around us who are living for Jesus. Not, not perfectly. And they're going through some things too, but yet their heart and mind is still fixed upon the Lord. Ah, oh, man, that's convicting. That'll shine on our darkness. Listen, sin will suppress our praise. Then it does this. It can destroy our testimony. Or be reminded in 2 Samuel 12, verse 14, the Bible says this, Howbeit because of this deed, Nathan talking to David, Howbeit because of this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. What does this mean? Well, it could mean this, that people at this time, knowing what David has done, maybe they, they thought this, or maybe they had this, maybe they even said this. Maybe they said, King David, the man of God's own heart, yeah, he did what? <laughs> I, I, I thought he, he, he loved the Lord. I thought he did this for God. I thought he served God. Why, why, why would this happen? Oh, did God not know this would happen? Why did God choose him in the first place? Why would he do such a thing? And in today's vernacular, folks might say, but I thought you went to church. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you knew the Lord. I thought, and you can fill in the blank. Listen, what these questions do is this. They cast a shadow upon the name of the Lord and cause the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Listen, there are many consequences to sin in a Christian's life. And yes, number 10 could even be this. It could be death. 
The Bible says in 1 John 5, 16, there is a sin unto death. So can a Christian sin? Yes, they can. But can a Christian sin and not suffer? No. No, it cannot. There will be some consequences. There will be some kind of suffering. That's the bad news. But quickly, here's the good news. Point number two, and lastly, there is cleansing. Amen. There is cleansing. And with this cleansing, there will be some truths that need to be marked down. Number one is this one. Remember the Lord. Look at verse number one. Psalm 51, verse number one. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. At this moment, David was remembering the Lord. Do you know what David knew when it came to his sin? Though he knew there was sin in his life, he also knew this. Listen. He also knew there was a multitude of mercies with his loving God. He knew that the Lord had not stopped loving him. Understand, the Lord doesn't love us because we are lovable. Did you know you're not very lovable? You may have some moments here and there, okay? But you ain't lovable all the time. I promise you that. Amen or oh me, whatever. It's, it's true, okay? Even, even your pastor is not lovable all the time. But God does not love us because we're lovable. No, God loves us because that's who he is. What do you mean? I mean this, God is love. And because he is love, that's what he does. He just loves us. That's his character. That's his attribute. In 1 John 4, 8, men love darkness rather than light. No, I'm sorry. It says this, it says this God is love. God is love. Again, he says it in verse number 16. God is love. Understand something. You and I cannot do anything to make God love us anymore or make him love us any less. He just simply loves us with a perfect, holy love out of his sheer grace and goodness. And when we remember that, remember that even in our sin, He still wants us and still loves us, this should propel us to come to Him. Then do this. Number two, confess. Look at verse number two, <clears throat> Psalm 51. <clears throat> verse number two. He says, For, I'm sorry, verse number two, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, here it is. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Now notice these phrases here. He says, my transgression, my sin. We see here that David has fessed up to what he did. He was not trying to hide it anymore. He came clean before God. He confessed his sin to God. Let me give you a wonderful verse that I encourage you highly to memorize. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Understand that word confess there in that verse is a compound word in the Greek. But it means this. It means to confess, to say the same thing, to concede, to not deny. And so with that understanding and that definition, do you know what the total opposite of confess is? 
excuse, to give an excuse. God will not, not accept any excuse for sin. He will not accept any alibis, all right? He will only accept confession. So when God says this, Philip, that was wrong. Philip, you have sinned. I am not tr to try to excuse or give some kind of excuse to God as to why I sinned. No. What I am to do is simply say this, yes, Lord, you are right. I agree with you. I come over to your side of thinking and I will say about my sin what you say about my sin. So confess your sin. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to excuse it as David did. Come clean. Confess it to God. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confess his sin and forsakes them shall have mercy. So when you remember the goodness of God and confess your sin to the Lord, and here's what happened. All right, ready? Number three, cleansing. Again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Understand this. Mark it down in your heart and mind. If we do our part in confession, God will do his part in cleansing. Okay? If we do our part in confession, God does his part in cleansing. Mark it down, he promised. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as, as wool. Understand, as you consider David's life and the, the messed up, I'm talking, look, look, the messed up stuff he did. It is, go back and read it, all right? It is messed up okay really bad when you consider David and all the things that he did you can see the wonderful grace and mercy of God at the same time and we as as people we as believers we who who reads the word get a front row seat to see all of it and to see the mighty grace and mercy of God that outshines any sin he may have committed. You see, he was forgiven. And David was cleansed and put back on the right track with the Lord. And it's absolutely amazing to see. So it gives someone like me hope. Knowing that if I have sin in my life, I too can be clean. I can be clean before God if I confess it, confess it to Him. Listen, there's no sin that God cannot forgive. There's no sin He cannot clean if you'll confess it to Him. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So what happens when a Christian sins? Well, yes, there, there can be suffering. There can be. And uh, a Christian cannot sin and win. It's just not going to happen. But I'm thankful that there is cleansing through the wonderful, marvelous, 
matchless grace of Jesus through his forgiveness and cleansing through his blood. You can be clean today.